In a world where three pudgy middle school history teachers discuss random aspects of history. Well, that's... that's all I got. No, Hatfield, we got you. Yeah, I, Wait, who you calling pudgy? Yeah, man, that's kind of rude. No, I'm rude. It's the History Bros Podcast. <laughs> Welcome to the History Bureau's podcast, coming to you live, recorded here in this studio with two Midwesterners, neither of which who have accents, and an East Coaster who apparently doesn't have an accent, but he's trained himself to not do that. And if you're wondering why I'm bringing this up, it's because I've just gotten accosted for the last approximately 17 minutes and 35 seconds about how I supposedly have an accent. Welcome, boys, and uh, yeah, Jason Hatfield. So, so you're you're saying that I don't have an accent, but I've trained myself to have an accent? No, I'm saying you had an accent, but you trained yourself not to have an accent. Oh, I still have an accent. I know I do. Well, not right now. I'm you don't sure have do. one right now. Oh, I, it's it can pop up. It can pop up. It really? Sure. Like what kind yeah. of? Is it like an Atlanta accent? Is it like a Texas accent? Is it like one of those really southern it's an, heavy? It's an how, Appalachian accent, and if you say Appalachian, then you're wrong. So is that like Appalachian? Appalachian. Is that like Appalachian State? <laughs> it's Appalachian. It's it's Appalachian. That's that's how God says it. Oh, did I ever tell you that my my grandfather used to teach in the summers at Appalachian State? <laughs> App- well, that's two strikes <laughs> against him. I'm sorry, Appalachian State. <laughs> No, seriously though, he, um, he, he, I don't know. If well, I, told you. I mean, I mean, I you know, I think Appalachian is in desperate need of uh, professors. There you go. More than like, this has been years ago. This is back when my because because they suck. At what? I'm just kidding. I don't. I I Whoa. went to Western. I went to Western Carolina University, and they used to kick our butt in sports like all the time. But um, wait, wait, I wait, didn't wait. care about sports. So Hatfield, I was gonna say Hatfield. I didn't know knew what sports was. Okay, no. So <laughs> I used to be part of the Methodist Student Center. The meth on the, campus. The meth center. You said yes. The yes, and um, we used to do fundraisers where we'd go to football games and we'd sell like drinks and stuff like that. Oh. And of course, all you'd have to do is you know you you go out with this you know strap around your neck and this tray of like sodas and stuff mm-hmm. and all you'd have to do is take one pass by where the frats were and you'd be gone i mean be done and you can go back and get another tray really usually everywhere else it's like no we don't need anything you go by there cuz you know they got all the alcohol and stuff oh yeah but um so you know i would watch some of the football games there but uh, and appalachian was you know always kicking our butts but well, they that doesn't were pretty mean good. i have to like them they were pretty good back in the day, and they moved well. Western's class. football team was amazing uh, back in the day, but um, their um, their coach. I mean, at one point, I think he was actually coaching from a wheelchair. Oh boy! Um, well, well, you know, can't remember his name. That was that was before my time. But. So here on the football. But anyway, goes. so how is uh, how's uh, your uh, school going now? Uh, we're now a few weeks in. How are classes? How's teaching? Uh, you know, uh, the way I describe it is it's not, not as bad as I expected it to be, 
but it's still very, very awkward at times, at many times. Yeah. What, what do you mean uh, awkward? It just, nothing feels quite the way it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything just feels just, I mean, yes, I'm in the classroom, which is great, but everything feels just slightly, you, you just, you, you, you feel like you're a first year teacher every time you step into the classroom and mm-hmm. the things that you don't expect to be an issue tend to be the things you thought were going to be an issue maybe aren't as much as you expect as it's, as you were planning on it being, you know, it just, it's crazy how it like, like for example, Oh God! Now you're making me think back to what the things that happened. I don't know. Like, okay. no, no, no. I mean, you're saying that it feels like you're a brand new teacher, and and I mean, you've been teaching obviously for a while. So I was just wondering what okay. about this scenario makes you feel like? Is it just because you're having to adapt to teaching during a pandemic sort of stuff? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, for example, so our desks are spaced six feet apart. That's the reason why we can be in the building the way they are. In fact, right. they, we've got a little better spacing than that. Um, I'm getting ready to start a project that I've done before where we work in partners and how am I mm-hmm. supposed to do a project where the kids can't sit next to each other and work? Right. It, it's, do you guys have uh, laptops? Oh, we've got iPads and we can do a lot of that stuff, but you know, to have a conversation and not that they sure. can't talk to each other and not that it's even all that different, but now you, it's not like I can have them get up and move around to a different desk. Right. It's like right. their sure. spot is their spot and you don't, you don't move that because if anytime you move to another spot, you got to sanitize it before anybody else sits down there and after you, you know, right. Well, I not would just th- that, think but that, I mean, if somebody sits somewhere and somebody turns up sick and then you've got a contact trace and, and oh, well, yeah. I just, I just moved seats. So this is a whole issue. And that's why they, yeah. And that's why they <laughs> right. don't want us, um, Number one, we're not we're not supposed to move seats on a Monday. Uh, we're supposed to wait till the next till at least Tuesday in case somebody comes back over the weekend yeah. sick. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have Jeez. to you know have to have everything written down. Um, we have to, and that's why that's the big reason why they don't want us having kids. Like I said, switching spots is because mm-hmm. if you're the, the the guidance that we're having to go off of is 15 minutes of exposure, not continuous but total exposure. So within six within six feet of somebody who has it for fifteen minutes or greater total time, yep. and now yep. all of a sudden you gotta, you know they're 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 quarantined. Jeez. Mm-hmm. So oh, I mean, yeah, that's what's so frustrating. Um, so I mean, the stuff that you would normally you wouldn't think twice about doing, you have to think twice about now. If if that Every, makes more sense, everything yeah. that you would not have to think about, you must think about. Yep. Playing mm. theater games, I you know, it gets hard. Yeah, I mean he's right. He's uh he's pretty much right on. That's kind of the situation we find. Or I find myself in too is uh, you know, we have kids in the building, so it's it's six feet at least. It's uh, you know, not changing seats. The kids are probably getting tired of who they sit next to at lunch, and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's like you said, uh, every every decision that you make on a daily basis that anything that you would have been like, ah, this is just, it's what we've always done. No, mm-mm. you have to rethink everything. Mm-hmm. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you're getting yelled at. I certainly, I mean, this is no longer by administration. Now you're talking the County health department. Mm-hmm. You know, now the County is involved. If you make a, a, the wrong decision, yep. Um, mm. does the school have to close because of your decision Do, you know, who's sick? Why are they sick? Is it your fault? 
I could wound up be, wind up being very litigious, I'd imagine. It's a, oh yeah, it's a, yeah, and that that's what he means. I think when he says you feel like a brand new teacher because you don't, you you, you know, you went to school, you know what you're supposed to do, but no one has had that. You know, is this legal? Is it okay if I do this? Is it okay right. if I do that? And that's kind of how it feels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. They um well they've pushed back until January For before you. they'll even consider us meeting in uh in person. So we're gonna be doing online learning until January and um hmm. I've been that's gotten to be tiresome. Um I mean I, I I understand why and again I'm all for it because sure. even though the kids may not have uh a lot of um, symptoms or whatnot. Uh, I teach in a title one school and I do have a bunch of kids that live in multi-generational homes mm-hmm. and they could go easily go home and then in fact, in fact, you know, who else uh, that could be dramatically impacted oh, sure. by that. So, um, so I totally understand it. It's just that it's frustrating because, you know, I'll be doing uh, attendance for each class and I'll have about half of the kids show up for class. Mm-hmm. And I'll have maybe half of the students turning in work. Isn't and, it fun? And it's just, you know, and I, I mean, and I, I keep saying, you know, so I wind up sending emails, you know, to parents. And I'm going to have to start making phone calls because I've got some kids that uh, I, I don't have any email address for. And, you know, and they're kind of like, wait, why isn't my student doing this work? And I said, well, that's why I'm reaching out to you. Cause I don't, you know, I don't know. I would love for you to tell me. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like, uh, Oh, well he says that he can't log into it. And I said, well, we, we've been working on this for a week <laughs> and I've been sitting there on camera, you know, waiting for anyone. I mean, I, every day let's walk through it. Hey, I have this student share their screen. Let's walk through how we get to where it is that we need to do. And they show it. And then I, I, any questions? Nope, 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 nope. So it's like, okay. So we sit there for like 15 minutes and then I'll do some lecture stuff or we'll transition or something like along those lines. And so this, this kid hasn't been doing anything, hasn't been asking questions, nothing. So then he tells his mom, Oh, I I don't know how to log in, which may be true. Maybe not, but it's like, I, you know, that's, what's so frustrating. I mean, it's like, I need help. I need Mm -hmm. you to step up and, you know, I understand that you may be working. You may not even be home and you may be working. I've had students that had, or uh, students that had parents that worked three jobs to make ends meet. I understand that there's a lot of stuff that's happening behind the scenes, but still this is your kid and I need you to follow behind and say, okay, what are you doing? What are you not doing? And whatever. Because then what's going to happen is, is that why's my kid got a zero? It's like, well, you guys have all have access to online grades. Yep. You know what's going on. You can check occasionally. Well, why does my student have all these zeros? Well, now's the time to ask, you know? And so it's just been a little frustrating because, I mean, some parents obviously really, really care because I've had parents reach out to me and go, whoa, why did my kid have this? Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay. And then I have stu- parents that I won't hear from at all. And it's just, you know, so the, you know, last year towards the end of the year, you know, all of a sudden we're doing asynchronous learning. That's the big thing, synchronous and asynchronous learning. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And, you know, so I was like recording things and putting them on there for people to, you know, on their own 
you know, time and all this kind of stuff. And now it's like they're, you know, wanting us to do all synchronous learning. So five classes, 45 minutes on Zoom every day, and except Wednesdays. I, and I'm sorry. It's tough. I find it's that tough ridiculous. to sit there in front of your laptop all this time over and over and over and over again. And you've got I, kids that are. I find that you know, ridiculous. People that want to reinvent school the way we've known it in a virtual setting, I think it's stupid. And I think most parents would agree. And I think most most teachers agree that trying to say, yep, we've got these periods during the day uh, when we're doing all the, it, How the heck does it? It doesn't work. I, I know <laughs> it's I mean, it could it could work, but um, there's just a lot of things that need to be addressed. I see. I think I, some I, of it has to do with student accountability. I can't see it working. I just cannot see how it would work in, in any situation. Not because of the timing and all that, but just because how in the hell do you, oh boy, how in the heck, sorry, uh, oh, do yeah, you so bad. convince a kid to spend five <laughs> hours? I mean, like I said, at the end of the day, you are now in the entertainment business you're, and you're up against Xbox, sleep, and the opposite gender. Well, and I mean, and a lot of the issues also stem from the fact that, you know, if if we do asynchronous learning, will the kids even access it at all? Well, I think some of the students, some of the students have actually even expressed, well, this is just like the end of last year where we weren't punished if we weren't doing anything. So this isn't real, quote unquote, school. So, you know, we'll just, I'll, you know, I don't have to turn in anything. And, I mean, if that's, you know, if that's how they feel, you're, the district needs to say, okay, well, if that's how this is being perceived, we got to make some changes. And I, that's got to be on the district. It's, well, and it's not I was actually nominated from my school to be part of the superintendent um, council, uh, teacher yeah. advisory council. And so we're sitting around and we're talking about this kind of stuff. And so, we had that's when the uh, school board decided, OK, we're going to wait until uh, January to, to start meeting in person. I think it was it January. I guess it's January. And so. Um, so, yeah. And, and that's kind of the, the frustration is that, you know, there needs to be this kind of uh, this is hammer. This needs to be hammered home. But I, you know, I don't know. I mean, this I can't I can't point the finger at one particular place. You know, I oh, can't sure. say, yeah, well, yeah, this yeah. is the reason. No. And again, this area of North Carolina is, you know, one was one of the hardest. I mean, this is one of the hot spots. But now our numbers appear to be slowly on the decline. And then I think places in your guys's neck of the woods are starting to go up. Not starting. They've been going up for a while. But the, what, so, what I'm saying is we need an, we need a revolution. We don't just need to reform and we don't just need a how can we do what we've always done just in a virtual setting. We need a revolution. And I don't know what the answer is yet either, but we need a revolution in how we educate. Mm-hmm. The old way. I mean, I, I you know, I, I kind of felt like Bitmoji had the process of that <laughs> where you could, hey, it's interactive. It's fun. You know, the kids are kind of getting engaged and things like that, but um, it's. But here's the next step on that. And this isn't uh, against uh, Hatfield or, or Gelbmacher or Root or anything, but the question is what's engaging to us and what's engaging to kids? Because we can say something oh, sure. that, oh, this is engaging. I love it. Right. But do the kids love it? Well, then you're starting to look at differentiation. And that means that I could have to find 87 different ways to try and be engaging. Yep. Right. And, you know, right. And I just 
You're right. I just, you know, the thing is, is that if there's, if there's, I feel like if there's accountability, then it could be taken a little bit more seriously. And I'm just not sure what that accountability is. But that, that's what I'm you have to deal, but you have to also understand that there's turn there are issues of equity where you've got kids that, you know, uh, don't have ready access to the internet or they have, you know, a bunch of brothers and sisters that are all trying to access it at the same time. So everything gets sluggish. They get kicked off of zoom all the time. Um, there's a whole bunch of factors to be addressed. And it's like, this has been literally hell to try and figure out how to address all of these problems. Right. And that's what I'm getting at. We need a revolution in how we do it. So, and there's a couple of things you said there that I wanted to address, but one of them, uh, there are a a million different things that are causing issues with the technology and whatnot. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like you said, you got five kids in a house trying to use, draw off the same internet. (laughs) They get kicked off the zoom. So then don't use zoom. You know, this is where I say synchronous education. So yes, there's well, the account. that's that's so, kind of the no well, no no. Just let me again, fin- it let me finish. On the stand- let me finish. Okay, go ahead. What I'm getting at is by doing synchronous education, we're saying the kid has to learn on our ter- time on our terms at the time that we prescribe that learning is going to occur. Whereas if we say nope, we're going to go to an online format, but you have to go to this location and I record something because I mean, a kid, if I'm just going to lecture on a Zoom, I can record that just as easy. You know, sure. so I mean, yes, there's the interactive aspect of it, but I have yet to see kids really get excited about being interactive through a Zoom. So until we can find a way where where people want to or our students want to be interactive on a Zoom, then we might as well just record it. They can do it on their own end. So then to me, that's where the the uh, the accountability piece comes in. Yes, you have to have accountability on the, the, the side of the students to get that. You're going to have to have parent buy in because we can't go to their houses and do that. All right? right. Or you have to have some type of consequence that matters to the kids. But we're thinking in a 1990s world about what motivates kids. And we're thinking in a 1990s world about what we used to do to get work out of kids in a world that is very much the opposite of the 1990s world. Sure. You're you're preaching to the choir. I know. Right. No, I know. I know. And then maybe I'm just re- restating it out there for everybody that's listening to this and saying, well, why are those dang teachers not fake? You know, whatever. And truthfully, the people that are listening are probably agreeing with us as well. But I had well, to say and, uh, I had and, the, to say and the thing is, is that I feel the same way. I feel like if it was asynchronous or synchronous or whatever, it's still the onus is on the kids to get the work done. Sure. And there's I can't tell you the number of times that we've walked through how to access the material. And I actually saw a meme that had, you know, um, you know, it said, OK, log into this portal, then, you know, scroll down to Zinkelzork and then double click <laughs> on the yeah. Dubledorf app. And then, you know, and, and it says and there's a picture and it says parents trying to help their kids. And, the, the, and it's the picture of this very confused person. And that's absolutely true. And I totally get that. Um, But like, that's why I try to have the kids like I walk through it and then I have a student share their screen and then they walk through it because like we're using an online textbook and Mm -hmm. what they see is different from what I see. And I don't have like a test student Mm -hmm. kind of thing so that I could say, okay, this is what it should look like for you. So I'm having to have students figure it out. And tell me what they see so Uh then I can then tell other. So there's a whole bunch of things that need to be obviously improved. And um, one of those things, I think, involves critical thinking skills. Ah, 
Notice oh. the little segue I did there. <laughs> so um, we're going to transition for just a minute. Um, I was uh, this morning as a minute. Well, as some of you may know, this might be a hard transition, actually. But, you know, <laughs> when you're interacting with people online, um, social media can be a blessing and a curse. And as we all know, I will not not poke the bear. <laughs> and so um, really? this morning, as a matter of fact, um, I was looking on um, one of the news feeds that I had, and they were talking about uh, the new uh, Supreme Court justice nominee that uh, Trump had uh, put forward. And so people were complaining about how she could possibly undo the Affordable Care Act and, you know, this kind of stuff. And so I'm just kind of going through the the comments of people. And um, one person said, you know, in referencing the Affordable Care Act, apparently the Supreme Court doesn't understand it or something. And where and this is what the person says. And where does the Constitution say the government can tax individuals License automobiles, mm. give speeding tickets, require seatbelt use, etc. Mm. Wait, wait, wait! You, what was that for, Brian? What, what does you seem put out by no, that? No, it's because I, I know, you know, I've taken the time to educate myself and know <laughs> where it says that. <laughs> well, so <laughs> you know, and here's the thing, because I then I of course I sat there and I was oh. like, okay. um... I said, actually, it it does. Yep. <laughs> um, that's why we had to get rid of the Articles of Confederation. Yep. <laughs> and the person says, so kindly show us the applicable language in the Constitution, the U.S. Constitution, that oh, is. Oh, goodness gracious. And, it, it's, and here's the thing. It, it's at this point you're like, okay, how hard do I want to dunk on this guy? <laughs> Because, I mean, when, you, when you're getting into discussions about, you know, because a lot of people are like, well, we're the real patriots, you know, and they're having their little pocket constitutions out and all that kind of stuff. And then they say stuff like this. And then it's like, well, the answer's in your hand. Mm-hmm. And I cannot tell you, I have been defriended on Facebook by so many of my old friends from high, well, friends from high school. <laughs> That and the, the conversation usually goes okay. Here's an allegation, and then I'll be like, no, I don't think that's true. Oh, and then it's like, oh great, here's another insert insult here. <laughs> and then I say, well, then show me, you know, show me how that allegation's correct. And then they say it's you can look for it anywhere. And I'm like, well, then it should be easy for you to submit something as evidence. Sure. And then they'll say, oh, you just, you know, you just want to believe what you want to believe. And I'm like, okay, that's still not evidence. Just show me if it's, if you can find it anywhere, just, you know, toss it into this and let's take a look. Mm. And then it's like, oh, you, you're such a sheeple. And then it goes into this whole thing and it's like, okay, you're not providing that evidence. (laughs) And so I did, I, I showed the guy, I said, it's article one, section eight. And it literally, that first line says it gives Congress the right to levy taxes. (laughs) And this person was like, oh, I was, um, I was, I think I was misunderstood. I wasn't trying to say this or that or whatever. And it was actually like a very congenial. It wasn't like, oh, you'll believe anything you read. Which has happened to me also. <laughs> it's like, well, we're referencing a written document. 
you have to kind of believe it if that's what we're referencing, you know, I guess. But um, so I started thinking about um, the various different ways that people seem to lack critical thinking skills. Hmm. And um, I was thinking, you know, why not let's do an episode where we have our prejudices about something and let's, you know, let's see if we can't change each other's minds. And so back when we were planning this whole thing, we were talking about, you know, they're talking about pulling down statues and all this kind of stuff. And, well, of course, Columbus was one of the big ones. You've got uh, sure. uh, you know, Columbus, Ohio, that wants to change their name to Flavortown, which I guess is a very Ohio thing to do. Um, but then, you know, all these people are attacking Columbus. And so one of the first things that we uh, had, you know, talked about when we were planning episodes early on was discussing whether or not Columbus is a hero or a villain. Mm. I'm yep. pretty sure and I put that as number one on the list, didn't I? It was number one on the list. Yeah. It was number one on the list. Uh, and we never talked about it. <laughs> I know. So, but here's the thing. I mean, right off the bat, people are like, okay, here we go. Columbus is a villain. Yeah, we, you know, blah, 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 blah. Well, let's actually take a look at this this question but let's let's use primary source documents and let's talk about analysis and i'm thinking um i want to kind of look through three lenses one is context primary source and bias mm-hmm. now i only have two eyes how do i look through three lenses yeah, well, geez. you just believe what you want to believe, Rude. I know, I know. Jeez, <laughs> way to go, sheeple. Just keep following what you already think. So, let me first pose a question for you. Let me first pose a question for you. No, the past is the past. What happened, happened. We can't have two different interpretations of it. Of course not. I mean, one of, of them has not. to be wrong, right? Every, yeah, there's only one true story of American history. Right, and apparently it's it's being liberal indoctrination is you know taking control in the classroom. No, no, obvious. No, the liberal version is not the right version. We can't do that. That you, it, yes, it is indoctrination, and and there's only one true story of American history. It's all got to be the way that I'm not sure that what's that, happening. Well, it is American history can only be interpreted one way, and that's got to be the European way. Yes, I'm being sarcastic and angry because that's kind of what. Okay, I thought for a second I was living in a bizarro world, so we're good. We're all good now. No, I'm. Uh, Are you? Are you not? Are you not? I mean, (laughs) that's. I saw an advertisement for uh, what's called the air helmet. By the way, okay, is that like an air fryer? No, it's mm. like you it's like a helmet. And the thing is, is that the way I saw it, it was advertised as looking very dystopian. It looks that kind of future. Dysto- and it's like, well, that's perfect, you know, but it's like this. It's literally like a helmet that has batteries that blow in air so it doesn't fog up and stuff. And it's uh, and it goes through HEPA filters mm. and things like that. So it's and it looks like something that you would have seen from like a 50s or 60s kind of like science fiction thing attack and of the killer whatever's yeah or okay. something yeah the attack of the killer covid <laughs> yeah but i'm sitting there i'm going you know anyway so um 
So we can't have two different interpretations of history, can we? Or no, can we? no, pos- no. There's only one true. Um, oh, no, of course, we can interpret okay, well, it differently. Let's let's really talk about this. Okay, I'm sorry. Yes, obviously <laughs> there can there can be more than one interpretation to anything. I mean, that's called yes, politics in general. So then you're trying to say that both sides could be right. Yes. Unless it's my opinion, and then it's it's my opinion that's <laughs> right. Okay. Oh crap! Well, that's what we're trying to believe. Whatever you want to read there, then she he's he's going to do this the whole episode, isn't he? Crap! I think so. That's the whole thing. You're, <laughs> that's the he's point. He's taking the role of me in right. one of these now. Apparently, so. <laughs> well, someone's got to. You're doing the role of leading it. So here's so here's the deal. So the question that I want to pose now: We've talked about this guy before. You guys are history teachers. So I want us to start off by trying to look at the question of, is Columbus a hero or a villain? He's one of them. Oh, or is he both? Ooh, His mind's made up. Crap, I didn't think about that. Ah, there. Oh, See? Boy. See? Stop doing, take your blinders off. <laughs> I, but then I can't. If I take my blinders off, then I can see the light. I would be forced to consider a, an opinion or a thought other than what I want to believe. I know it's you almost ripped the uh, the pearls off, clutching them so hard. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. It just you know what I I know what I believe. I know what I am because I decided back when I was born and I saw my first uh, shirt that and, and Facebook post that said what I believe. That's what I got to be. So the fact that you were a child when Facebook was around just it it hurts um, my heart. That hurts, it hurts my heart. My heart. A child. Yeah. Facebook came out my sophomore year in college. Okay. So Nanner, so you were you were its intended audience. Wow. Yes, that's crazy. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Facebook nice. is my thing. It's not your guys' thing. It's God, my that's thing. How, that's, that's true. How I, I have a, are. I have the jitterbug Facebook, so that it's just like four <laughs> buttons and everything's really big. Right. So, um, so we're going to look at this: Is Columbus a hero or a villain? Through three lenses of context, okay. primary source bias. Um, we need to think about what were Columbus's thoughts and intentions, okay. what were his actions, mm-hmm. and what were the possible actions or intentions of people outside of Columbus. Okay. So let's start off by kind of discussing what, we, what our biases are, what we think we know about Columbus. I know that Columbus was the first person to discover America. Oh, dear God. Survey says... <laughs> Okay. Okay. Let me try again. I know that Columbus, uh, you know, we're going to celebrate his day because he discovered America. Survey says? Okay. Okay. Let me try again. I know that Columbus, his men were about to mutiny on him, but then they saw a a bird carrying a branch. And and so then. It's actually a coconut. Oh no! That's only if it's the right, the right. It, it grasp it by the husk. Well, <laughs> it could grip it by the husk. Only if it was an African swallow. <laughs> well, then maybe he discovered Africa. Well, but that was the thing: is he landed in America and he he realized he was in the wrong spot, but he still called the people Indians because they were um, they were there. But if it was an African swallow, then why didn't he call them Africans? <laughs> okay. So anyway. Um, so in all honesty, okay, so what do you guys think, first of all, do you 
right off the bat, let's talk about you know what you yeah. think you know, what your prejudices are, or what your your pat what, what you're bringing to the table. And I don't mean prejudices as in you know you're already judging. It's like you are you may already have an idea in your mind coming forward. Um, so right off the bat, let's just do you think that he's a hero or a villain? Let's just ask that. Is it an either or, or is there? I don't. Just Are you going to let us fence you ride? Think he's both. Will okay. you get the fence ride? Well, I don't. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe some people are too timid to really have a strong choice. So maybe they'll want to just you know take the safe middle road. Oh, I don't know. Wow. See, that was me. That's a shot fire. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I'm going to say it's complicated. So you're agreeing with me because I'm going to say there's shades of gray. Yes. Okay. Why do you think there's shades of gray? Well, have you not seen the read the book or seen the movie? (laughs) Shades of gray. Fifty shades of gray. Nothing to do with Columbus, but there is some torture from what I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. I have actually I had that book on tape uh, read by Gilbert Godfrey, and it uh, it kind of changes. It changes a little bit different perspective. Speaking it's, of it's perspective, a little bit. no less arousing though. Yes. <laughs> well, again, speaking of perspective, um, so there's the European perspective, uh, okay. which would, uh, in broad generalization, tell you that most people think that he is a hero, uh, that he did something that few people had done before, um, and then there is the aspect of uh, the people who were maybe you know living in the place that he quote-unquote discovered uh and then that would be his perspective of uh, of of a much different uh feel you know that of a of a villain mm-hmm. so yes right up the middle a villain uh okay so so he's a hero because of why and a villain because of why uh okay so he is a hero in the european perspective in that he had done something that was relatively new um he is a villain in that the one of the products of his expeditions was um you know disease and and death and slavery and the extermination of but is that from a european perspective is enslavement and that kind of stuff is that necessarily bad are we approaching this from a european perspective perspective only right now or are we uh, well you 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 brought up from the european perspective so i was thinking okay. that maybe you're trying to you're you're looking at both of these no, 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 no. concepts uh, okay so well i am looking at both perspectives so no I, we're I trying to get an how... a so we're trying to think of what the teacher wants us to do yeah exactly Jeez. um yeah i'm teaching the test that's that's what i'm doing right yeah, now that's, i'm no. so bad at these uh <laughs> So, <laughs> no, I'm I, taking notes. So for most of the I would think for most of Europe, the idea that this news comes back that um, Columbus has, again, air quotes, discovered a new land uh, or or maybe because uh, he doesn't realize uh, that he has reached Asia. That's that's a it's a big deal. Um, and I would imagine that the ends justify the means, meaning, you know, tell me all the good stuff. Tell me, oh, you know, and it's become like this, you know, kids with their heads resting in their hands. Tell me about Columbus, daddy. Um, 
<laughs> tell me a story. Mildly creepy. Tell me how. Tell me how Christopher Columbus, uh, you know, made it to Asia, uh, and the other things get kind of brushed aside as not being nearly as important. Again, that's from the European perspective. I would imagine. Okay. Well, who, yes, because if you start getting into the realities of it, nobody wants to hear the stuff where they say, oh, yes, yes. and he took these people and cut their heads off and right. then pulled no. his brother yes. there to cut more heads off and make them slaves. Well, but you, we also need to take a look at context, though. Well, that's so true. if you're talking about the European perspective, do you mean the modern current one or are you talking about the European perspective from the you know 15th century? Well, and I... Uh, I mean, I guess and I kind of referenced, I guess I'm looking at it from the time of the 15th century, because, again, I, I changed what I said. And I said not New World, but, you know, reached Asia because uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but Columbus died thinking he'd reached Asia. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, okay. Yes. I think he was trying so, to find uh, maybe Japan. I'm not sure. I think. But he never he didn't realize that the place he landed was not the place he thought he was. He right, was never right. informed that he was in the West Indies and not Asia. Right. Which a lot of people think that um, he w- Columbus was not the first person to introduce the concept of uh, a, a globe. Uh, sorry, flat earthers. Um, yeah, right. But he was not the first one to introduce that concept. And a lot of people think that he was. Um, but he, he actually wasn't. Um, right. But um, uh, there's a, an author by the name of William J. Connell. And he points out that um, we would actually be kind of erring to judge Christopher Columbus's actions against modern standards. And um, whereas using and this is a quote, whereas using war captives as slaves would be unthinkable today. It had been common practice Mm -hmm. in Europe since the time of Aristotle. So although modern societies deride any form of compelled conversion for 15th century Christians, bringing savages under Christ's dominion was considered an act of mercy and piety. Okay. So even if they had, even if they had brought up the idea of uh, putting to use for lack of a better term, uh, some of the natives that they had discovered, uh, I mean, clearly they would have been much um, more accepting of it, it sounds like. Okay. Whereas, whereas today, with our modern application of what we know and, and context, we obviously would not have been okay with that. If that Rude, any anything you want to add to that? <sighs> it, no, not, not at the moment. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> so if we're looking at this from the uh, from a perspective of the 15th century European um, forced conversion and uh, the taking of prisoners or slaves is considered kind of acceptable. Oh, very because, much so. um, and of course, as Geldmacher was saying, by modern day standards, um, you know, feelings have changed, thoughts have changed. Uh, but during this time period, the consideration of uh, wanting to convert savages, quote unquote, uh, to the Christian, the civilized perspective was considered godly, was considered uh, a positive sort of thing. So okay. based just based on that, we haven't even gotten very far into that. But based mm-hmm. on this, would then uh, Columbus be a hero? Can I jump in on one thing about that whole converting thing? 
Yeah, sure. At that, you have to remember that at that time, um, the the Catholic Church was still quite powerful. The Pope was very powerful, and they got their power obviously from he money. Bench like three fifty, it was crazy. Right, yeah, they get they get their power from money, and the way they get money is through donations to the church. And the way you get donations, more donations, is by having more people. Sure. So the idea behind the conversion wasn't even so much that it was giving them. Truthfully, it wasn't even so much that they were giving them the you know the Holy Spirit, so to speak. It was more the fact that oh, there's more members and hopefully more money and more power. So it really was an exploitation of them in an effort of making money, with, with okay. the goal of making money. But right. I don't know that that changes I mean, anything. But I just wanted to say that because I had something that sounded halfway smart, and I you know don't do that. Well, no, often. and that's a but that's a very Lutheran uh, you know perspective. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, I mean, but a lot of the world probably still would have. But you even had uh, Protestants. I mean, if you take a look at um, some of the uh, charters for North America, they said you are allowed to claim any land you want unless that land is already inhabited by a Christian. So wait, are you getting? Right. Are, are, are you you calling out the Lutherans here or what? No, I'm just trying to say. You know, Martin Luther. You know, goes and. He says, you know, Ein Minuten bitter. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, know, clearly you had issues with the with the Catholic Church. And I think, what, Rude, I'm not saying what you're saying is wrong. I would say that you're, you may be introducing a little bit of modern bias into what you said. Oh, I wouldn't doubt because that I, in the least. Because I don't think that they're, uh, I don't think people would have been nearly as critical <laughs> Sorry, Martin Luther would have ne been nearly as critical with the Catholic Church at the moment. Sure. Um, well, unless you were, yeah, unless you're Protestant. Unless you're Protestant. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, then. even that, that's, I mean, it's still, we're still, what, 30, 30 years away ish from the, from the 95 theses being nailed to the church door. So it's, it's, a, it's a build in process, I'm oh, sure. But it's right, not right, nearly right. as bad as, as at the boiling point yet. Well, I'll give you that, but uh, Columbus anyway. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah, and that's I mean, that's what we're discussing. No, so. you're right. You're right. Uh, fifteen seventeen. Yeah, that's yeah. so we're so we're still ahead of the uh the Ref so uh, yeah. the Reformation. Yeah. So um okay, so uh, another perspective is that um well let's just let's kind of start taking steps into this. Okay. So we know that um, Columbus set sail in uh, around, I believe it was May of 1492. Um, and then around mid-September, he saw the African um, swallow with yep. the coconut husk. Yep. Um, no. So they, they see you know, evidence of land and birds. And eventually they, um, they uh, will eventually find land uh, around, I'm wanting to say October. Mm -hmm. Um. And so um, Columbus did write a lot about this. He wrote a bunch of letters to um, Ferdinand and Isabella uh, or Isabel. It's Isabel. It's Isabel. And so he talks about um, he writes, you know, that the Pinta being faster and in the lead sighted land. Now, as um, I think Rude had mentioned, people were starting to get a little mutinous. They felt this was taking too long. They should have found land by now. 
there was a lot of issues that were going on and he kept trying to convince them. All right. All right. Let's just let's let's just chill out. Um, We're doing God's work. God will provide for us. And he was able, for the most part, to to kind of keep them in line. So um, they finally spot land. And he says, uh, when we stepped ashore, we saw the fine green trees, streams everywhere and different kinds of fruit. I called to the two captains to jump ashore with the rest, asking them to bear solemn witness that in the presence of them all, I was taking possession of this island for their lord and lady, the king and queen. So a modern standard would probably be, this isn't yours. Why are you all of a sudden taking that? Um, In the context of that time, I guess that could be considered very brave, even though if he thinks that this is actually India, then I would think that he would feel that Indians or that people were already there because we they'd already had interactions with, I mean, as far back as Marco Polo. Right. So, you know, that, so there's a little bit of a, so anyway, um, I, uh, soon a bunch of the natives um, start to surround them. And he says, I could see that they were people who would be more easily converted to our holy faith by love than by coercion Mm -hmm. and wishing them to look on us with friendship. I gave some of them red bonnets and glass beads, which they hung around their necks and many other things of small value at which they were so delighted and so eager to please us that we could not believe it. So from his own words, he's talking about these people that we, uh, I think he calls them the airwax. Um, but they, uh, they're commonly considered to be the Taino people. Um, and he even goes so far now at the very beginning, he says that, um, if we're wanting to change these people, we're wanting to convert them. We can do more by love than we can by coercion. Mm -hmm. So, you know, right off the bat, we're thinking, okay, well, I mean, maybe, I mean, he seems to be pretty gentle about this. And he, there's a lot of descriptions about these people in his writings, and none of the descriptions that he writes are of any sort of we're fearful of these people. They're very docile. They're very friendly. He says um, uh, they took anything and gave willingly whatever they had. However, they appear to me to be a very poor people in all respects. They go about as naked as the day they were born, even the women. They carry no weapons and are ignorant of them. When I showed them some swords, they took them and they took them by the blade and cut themselves. Mm -hmm. I believe they would readily become Christians. It appeared to me that they have no religion with God's will. I will take six of them with me for your majesties when I leave this place. Thoughts? Um, Obviously the, uh, the portion about grabbing the sword uh, and are appear poor. Obviously that's from his single perspective. And I would imagine the perspective of what the prevailing thought would be in Europe as, you know, they would consider themselves, I mean, we would consider them materialistic, you know, the Europeans at that time, I guess. I mean, oh know, God. Yes. Obviously. Oh, especially during this time. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So the lack of materials would then signify the opposite of, Hey, I've got stuff. I'm in a good place. Um, it, it It's more from a place of, 
and I'm going to use the word ignorance, but in that I mean um, uneducated about the people's culture, then it has to do with just, I mean, I, that's what I mean. Um, so it's, it is, it's clearly a, a specifically European perspective, but that's what he's writing from. So it, it's not hard to understand why he would write that. Okay. Um, and to kind of piggyback off of what you're saying, one of the reasons why Columbus is even doing this is for wealth sure, and power. I mean, um, one of the reasons a lot of uh, Europeans would immigrate to or migrate, I guess, to the uh, what is now the United States or to North America was because land was also a symbol of power. And there wasn't a whole bunch of land available in Europe uh, for common people. Okay. So from the European perspective, the concept of wealth and power was very, very important. So like you're saying, seeing these people naked with no weapons and stuff like that, well, then, you know, that could be considered very poor. Um, right. Uh, one perspective about kind of piggybacking on this from um, this one uh, blog called The Perspective uh, they say that Christopher Columbus, uh, Columbus's auspicious rise to power and fame is a slice of pull yourself up from your bootstraps Americana. Hmm. Uh, Columbus was born to a landless Italian wool worker and started working his way up t- uh, on merchant ships as a teenager. He secured his own education and studied cartography, mathematics, astronomy, and navigation along the seashores where he worked. Columbus was imperturbable in his efforts to find a patron to sponsor the voyage. He pitched his idea to monarchs in Portugal, France, and England before finally securing the support of Spain's Ferdinand and Isabella, who named him Admiral and Viceroy. So he was a go-getter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No doubt about that. So, yeah. So, I mean, so Columbus still kind of, I mean, this is someone to possibly look up to. You could say, you could argue that at the time, sure. Okay, at the I mean, well, even by today's standards, I well, mean, someone uh, yeah. getting out there, and I mean, that, I, I mean, unless you do, you disagree? No, 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 um, no. I when you when you frame it that way, and I'm not saying frame as in there's something sinister happening. I mean, when you frame it that way, uh, yeah, I mean, someone who took what they had and made something far greater than what they may have been fated, if that's the terminology we're using to do uh absolutely i could see that okay so um going back to so on sunday the 14th of october um people kept coming down to the beach some brought us water some food others seeing that i did not wish to go ashore swam out to us and we understood them to be asking if we had come from heaven Hmm. which when he talks about how they had no religion the fact that they're asking about coming from i guess up above or wherever would kind of argue against that but um i'm surprised that he didn't kind of dwell on that but these people have little knowledge of fighting as your majesties will see from the seven i have had captured to take away with us so as to teach them our language and return them unless your majesty's orders are that they all be taken to Spain or held captive on the island itself or with 50 men one could keep the whole population for with 50 men one could keep the whole population in subjection and make them do whatever one wanted so we're talking this is like one of the first 
that he writes after having meet, met them. He's already talking about how gentle they are, how they're very docile, and yet we can go ahead and just conquer this entire territory and make them do whatever we want. So as a, not by education, but by uh, job title, uh, as a language arts teacher, we have to think about audience as well. So what is the audience of that particular piece of writing? Who is he writing to? Um, it sounds from the context of what he's writing that he is at least in part referencing um, things he may be saying or recording for the purposes of the king and queen reading it. Mm-hmm. So I think, and this is certainly not to defend him, but again, just looking at it from what I think is an objective place, uh, he may be choosing terminology that would make him seem like, um, I don't know if that sounds, basically what he's doing is writing so that the king and queen will see achievement, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for example, when we write lesson plans, we, part of our, part of our lesson planning, well, some of us, I, I don't really, you know. I don't write 14 page lesson plans, but for those that do (laughs) (laughs) part of what you have to show is how you plan on showing achievement or how you plan on showing progress. Um, That kind of sounds like what he's doing. From the student perspective. That kind of sounds like what he's doing. He's kind of saying we can show, I can show you my progress by telling you that I can, it would be simple to conquer if we needed to, you know, that's that stuff. And again, for me, for a king and queen, that sounds like gold, right? That sounds like, ooh, sweet, more land. We could conquer more territory. We could take what these people have. To me, that sounds like what he's doing. Okay. Um, I could, I could he, be completely wrong, but that's what it's Well, like. he, he, further, he goes on further in the same entry to say that the islands are green and lush with sweet breezes. Mm-hmm. And there may be many things here which I do not know about because rather than lingering, I wish to explore and investigate many islands in search of gold. Right. So obviously you're looking at the material. You're looking at that materialistic sort of, okay, gold and gold, mm-hmm. I think. Gold had not really necessarily been a symbol of wealth, I think, at this particular point. Uh, It was starting to, by this point, because usually land was a symbol of wealth and power. But now if you're looking at money, which can then buy anything, um, you start seeing a transition to gold being the, um, I guess, the currency. (laughs) Standard, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Right. then let's see on uh, November the 4th, he writes, uh, I also understood them to say that there are large ships and a trade in goods all to the southeast and that a long way away. There are men with one eye and others with noses like dogs who eat human flesh. Hmm. When they capture someone, they cut his throat and drink his blood and cut off his private parts. Ugh. Fun. So, um, Cheers to you, Half King, for just sticking <laughs> to the, the head. <laughs> um, so um, let's see. Then on the 12th of November, he says, Yesterday I thought it a good idea to take some of the people from the river and convey them to your majesty so that they may learn our language and tell us what there is in their country and learn our customs and matters of the faith and interpret for our people 
uh, when they return, for I can see from my own observations that these people have no religion, even though he just recently had asked if, mentioned you know, they, right. nor are they idolaters. They are gentle and do not know the meaning of evil, nor killing, nor taking prisoners. They have no weapon and are so timid that one of our men can frighten away a hundred of them just as a joke. Hmm. So... So, again, is he is he a villain at this particular point? I mean, he's just writing down observations, granted, by today's standards. It's very narrow. Um, but in that perspective, you know, when you're thinking uh, wartime and, well, I mean, he's not at war with these people, but, you know, not taking into consideration that if they aren't behaving and acting the way that he understands then they have no religion and that they are very timid and that kind sure. of stuff. Um, they are ready to believe. They acknowledge that there is a God in heaven and are convinced that that is where we have come from. And they are quick to recite any prayer we tell them to say and to make the sign of the cross. Your majesties should therefore determine to convert them to Christianity. For I believe that once this is begun, a host of peoples will soon be converted to our holy faith and great domains and their wealth and all their peoples will be one for Spain. Yeah, that's scream to me. It screams, uh, you know, look what I've done for you. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't, I mean, you could argue that it's, uh, again, though, I think it really is applying a modern perspective. Well, he should have known better than to, no, he's following orders from the King. You know, he has, he has, been tasked by the king of spain and queen of spain to do these things because they're they're footing the bill for this right and if he doesn't produce something that they are happy with he could be the one killed so with that in mind is there a possibility that he's embellishing what it is that he's writing so that this could be considered a successful voyage sure (laughs) Uh, maybe okay because i mean one of the things is he's looking for gold and he does at one point he starts writing about how he sees them wearing gold right and um uh, they start trading with them uh in gold which winds up being kind of like their death warrant because it's like oh look we have exactly what you've come here to take over us for um It says, a canoe came alongside us yesterday with six young men. Five of them came aboard, and I ordered them to be seized and have brought them away with me. That's slavery. Again, if we're talking, you know, 16th century, 15th century, excuse me. um, I mean, he's not asking them to come with him. He He says that they're seized. Yeah, I didn't say that was good or bad. I just said that's slavery. Are they being seized because they boarded the ship without permission? And he's using that as a, we seize them in an effort to do something sinister. He says, um, I ordered them to be seized and have brought them away with me. I then sent men to a house on the west side of the river, and they brought back seven females, some young and some adult, I did this because men behave better in Spain when they have women of their own land with them than when they are deprived of them. 
I feel like you didn't. Get Men have story. often been taken from Guinea to Portugal to learn the language and given good treatment and gifts. And when they were taken back with a view to employing them in their own country, they went ashore and were never seen again. <laughs> so he's he's taken these men um, and he says uh, to, and have brought them away with me. And then he sends more people to grab their women so that they can be happy. So now and that's actually putting women on a lower pedestal than the men. Because, okay, I've seized these men. These men are going to be, and let's make them happy. So we'll just grab these women over here. And, you know, were the men even attracted to the women? We don't know. The women aren't being brought along to help with this process. They're only being brought along, you know, for the satisfaction of these other male prisoners, which is, you know, very thoughtful of Columbus, I think. Isn't that human trafficking? It's, well, yes. Modern speak, yes. Um, again, I'm not def- trying to defend, <laughs> um, if that's not, it's not too far off from the European mindset though. Correct. Correct. During this time period, um, again, as we had said earlier that, you know, taking prisoners, but they're not at war with these right. people. In fact, these people have been very, very kind and very hospitable to them. In fact, in a little bit, we're going to see the you know wreckage of the uh, Santa Maria and what they do. These Taino people have been nothing but his- hospitable. There's not been any sort of, at least from Columbus's writings at, at this particular point, there's been no conflict with the Taino people. Hmm. So they're not at war. So to just grab people, I mean, I guess if if Columbus were to have sailed to England and had just grabbed some people from the shore and taken them away, the English would take issue with that. Sure. But these native people are considered godless. They're not considered, uh, I guess, a world power. In fact, Columbus basically says we're taking you know this whole territory for Spain. So right. technically, he's taking now Spanish citizens to go back to Spain. But, you yeah. know, again, during that, but even by that, that standard of it's, you know, common practice to take slaves from war, he's not at war with these people. But he right. is seizing people, and that could be classified as kidnapping. I mean, even in 15th century standards. I'm not going to lie. This is the first part of this where it, I have uncomfortable is not the right word and feeling uncomfortable probably isn't even is more of a, not the right term, but that's of all the things we've discussed so far. This is the first moment where I've felt, huh? I'm not sure how I feel about that. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. yeah. I mean, again, context is what screws a lot of people. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Because by modern standards, this guy's horrible. He's absolutely a terrible person in the context of that time. And again, I'm not trying to justify what it is that he did, but um, in the context of the time, this is kind of an acceptable and promoted practice. Sure. Um, And I don't. Does that make it? Go ahead. I don't disagree with any of that. I I, again, it it comes down to like, well, yeah, it's all about lens and 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 uh, maybe that's where you're going with all this, you know, Um I mean, if we if we take a lot of things into context, it can I mean, sometimes it can be it's uh, 
it's it's a it's a very thin line to justify. But when we're talking about the context of the time, um, does his actions based on the agreed uh, principles? Now, I mean, this could open up a much wider debate if we're talking about, you know, slavery in the South. Um, even though we could say that even as early as I mean, people had those were slaves and people had issues with slavery even at that particular point. Um, so that could probably be a different argument to be had. But in this particular case, you know, if you're looking at the context, it's it's sad to think that this would have been acceptable. Oh, I don't disagree with you at all. And, and again, um so we're still just scratching we're still just scratching the surface here well we are and the the thing is we we have context and so people have to understand the context but at the end of the day um you know we we, we're still looking at the judgment of it and so then the, the question becomes whose standards do we get to judge by and so that's where the the moral question comes in and morality changes over year over the years and over time and and that's I think what makes it so complicated. Now there, we've got a lot more to go on this, like you said. We're just scratching well, the surface. Well, but but not ju- but not just this. But we're also not even taking into consideration any sort of uh, viewpoint of the Taino people. Correct. Mm-hmm. So even if this is an acceptable practice for the Europeans, from the Taino people. You have these people that may have come down from heaven or whatever and scooped up a bunch of people onto their boat and then went and kidnapped even more women mm-hmm. and brought onto the boat. And no one, there's been no dialogue with or a Taino perspective introduced to this yet. Mm-hmm. We don't know if the people are willingly wanting to be seized. Sure. Or, you know, the women. So that's one of the things that we wind up in that's lacking in this context is that we have no viewpoint of the the native population. I mean, we've seen this movie before. Richard Dreyfus had no problem walking onto that ship outside of Devil's Tower. You know what I mean? They had no, he had no issue at all. That was clearly a terrible joke. I apologize. What, I, what movie? I, I, it was Close Encounters. I'm sorry. Oh, oh okay. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, sorry I, about I, that. I, I saw that movie. I was almost going to watch that the other day, but I, um, I instead I went with The Rock, which was oh, well, there you go. maybe maybe better. No, you're fine. No, you're fine. Uh, um, so on November the twentieth, uh, Martin Alonso Pinzon has sailed away on his own in the Pinta without my permission. Oh. Moved by greed, he believes that an Indian I ordered him to take aboard his ship will give him a lot of gold. He went without waiting, not through stress of weather, but because he chose to. He has gone against me in word and deed many times before. Hmm. So now you're starting to see um, possibly uh, more frustration because they've been here for a month, over they a month not at least. Found much gold, right? And they have not. Uh, they ha- I think they have gotten some. Um, and then let's see, Sunday, sixteenth uh, of December. Um, Rest assured that this island and all the others are as firmly in your possession as Castile, whatever you wish. I, with my small company, could walk all over these islands unmolested, for I have already seen three of my seamen go ashore and a whole multitude of Indians flee from them without being threatened. 
Really? They have no weapons or fighting skills, and all of them are naked. They are very timid. Three men could put a thousand of them to flight so they could easily be commanded and made to work, to sew, and to do whatever might be needed to build towns and be taught to wear clothes and adopt our ways. Yeah, that's again, it speaks very much of a the European mindset of, of what, it's, what am I going to do to, to please the king? Yep. Now, he does say uh, in the same entry... I have given the men orders not to take anything from them against their will, even though right. he's he himself has seized right. people. So uh, they have paid them for everything. I cannot believe that any man has ever met a people so good hearted and generous, so gentle that they did their utmost to give us everything they had and ran to bring it to us as soon as we arrived. Um. They uh, on Saturday, the 22nd of December, um, when the men arrived, the chief took my secretary by the hand. Um, he had sent six men to a very large village. Uh, when the men arrived, the chief took my secretary by the hand. I had sent my secretary to prevent the rest from doing anything untoward to the Indians. So there was a there was a belief that these men were going to do something bad. So now we're starting to see that even though Columbus is doing these things that um, he's contradicting himself on a number of ways. You guys don't do anything, pay for everything, but we're going to snatch these people up and take them with us. So there's a little bit of a, uh, I guess, hypocrisy or double standard. Um, For they are so generous and my men so extremely greedy that they are not satisfied with getting whatever they want from the Indians for a lace end or even a piece of glass or pottery or other useless thing, but want to get everything with no payment at all, which I have always forbidden, uh, though with the exception of the gold, much of what they get is of trifling value, considering the generosity of heart of the Indians who would and do give a piece of gold for half a dozen glass beads. I have given orders that nothing shall be accepted without some payment. So it starts to appear that his men... Now, granted, he's the one in charge of these men. Sure. So if these men are greedy, if these men are misbehaving, then there you go. Then, of course, on December 24th, the Santa Maria runs aground. Um, he sent a marshal of the fleet to tell the king what was happening Um, And to say that because of my wish to accept his invitation to go to his harbor to visit him as he requested last Saturday, I'd lost my ship on a reef on my way to his village a league and a half away. He burst into tears when he heard the news of our misfortune and sent all his people from the village in numerous large canoes. With their help, we began to unload everything from the ship. We received such help from the king that she was unloaded and everything cleared from the decks in no time. So his ship runs aground. He sends men aboard. They send everybody, and they help unload this ship. Okay. And, I mean, this is like, and I don't, even even in that perspective, even in that time, these people willing to be so generous, and you're willing to just take them captive and teach them stuff and capture, I mean, and capture women and just be like, okay, well, these are the guys that you're going to, keep happy quote unquote i mean (laughs) there's a lot of perspective we we're still not seeing the perspective of the taino people right Mm -hmm. 
Of course, that's going to change when Bartolome de las Casas starts arriving in the early 1500s. And then he he's actually involved a lot in some of the atrocities and slaving. And uh, eventually he's like, this is this is horrible. And then he starts writing down all the atrocities that he personally has seen. Um, but um, he says, I swear to your majesties that nowhere in Castile could everything have been better looked after. Not a lace point went missing. So not only did they help unload the ship, they make sure everything is secured. Wow. Um, and he goes on to say, I can see that our Lord caused the Santa Maria to go aground with the purpose of establish, establishing us here for various things have come together so handily that it has been a piece of good fortune rather than a disaster. Mm-hmm. Um, then he goes on to take the, uh, the timbers of the Santa Maria. And then he says, I have decided to build a fort. This tower should be built and built properly being so far away from your majesties to show the people, the skills and abilities of your subjects so that the people will love fear and obey you. Mm-hmm. So it's already, I mean, despite the fact that these people are coming out and they're helping and doing all this stuff, He's subjugating them. I mean, he's willing to have them be in fear of him. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose. I can see where you're going with that. I agree. But keep in mind the context of doing with the king, appeasing the king. Right. Right. Again, yeah. not defending, not defending at all. But keep in mind, and, and yeah, you could say, oh, well, you're going to use the he's just following orders thing. Well, kind of, yeah. Well, I mean, a king could order you put to death and right. it would be done. Because if you don't do as the king appeases, you could find yourself in that situation. So is he doing it because he's a, <laughs> catch my words, is he doing it because he's a jerk? Or is he doing it because he's supposed to, do what the king has required him to do by whatever means necessary. Well, a couple, I I feel like it's a couple of points here that you have the American perspective, which is everybody has a right. Everybody's independent. We have these, you know, deep held beliefs that we are now judging from, you know, a few hundred years ago. Okay. Um, and but you still have and but from that perspective, we're still saying, well, we still haven't heard anything from the Taino or anybody to speak up for the Taino. Sure. Just that. So I think it could be a hard thing for Americans to accept based on our founding, quote unquote, founding principles, despite, of course, that we still had slavery um, to understand this context. Sure. Yeah, if you've never taken a year, if you're not sure how monarchs operate, if you're not, if you've never taken a European history course, sure, it would be quite difficult. Yep. So, um, uh, Columbus decides to leave, and he's going to leave a group of people there on uh, the island, and then he comes back with a much larger fleet. And when he gets there, um, they uh, they send some people on the shore and they find two badly decomposed corpses Mm-mm. on the shore. 
And so they fire their guns to say, hey, we're here. And of course, the colony that's left there should fire their guns back to say, okay, we know you're here. Uh, No one fires any guns. So they go into where they had left the colony, totally burned out. Burned Mm -hmm. out, everything's torched, everyone's dead. And they go and visit Guacanagari, who is the Taino chief. And um, before he leaves, by the way, Columbus tells his, he gives a speech and he tells them basically, um, I ordered and begged them not to cause offense or injury to any of the Indians, male or female, and not to take anything against their will. Well, unless you're kidnapping them, of course. Right. Uh, I especially told them to avoid committing any insult or violence against the women, which might cause outrage or give a bad example or bring us into disrepute among the Indians who are sure that we have all come from heaven and are ambassadors of the heavenly virtues. So before he leaves, he tells them, please don't screw this up for us. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's a complicated thing to say. I mean, and granted, we don't know if the, I mean, this is coming from him. It's not very rarely. Do you see him going, wow, I should have thought that one through. He doesn't really reflect on that. So we don't know how much of this is just his, kind of making himself look better you're right um but um yeah he um so uh the shore party uh, not only confirmed the proximity of la navidad but discovered a somber portent two human bodies were found on the bank of the river um with much apprehension columbus weighed anchor on november 27th for the short run to la navidad It was late in the day when the 17 ships arrived. Um, Of course, they find everything's burned out. Um, uh, La Navidad was a scene of silent desolation as the shore party approached. Little fortress had been built from the timbers of Columbus's uh, wrecked flagship or in charred ruins. Some articles of clothing were scattered on the ground. A few natives were seen lurking on the edge of the forest, but they vanished as the Spaniards came near. Um... They confirmed his worst fears. Every man in the colony was dead. All 39 of the sailors who had been his shipmates on his first great voyage, most of them had been killed. The Indians told the admiral uh, in the invasion by the uh, caciques, um, so neighboring tribes, hmm. burned the fortress as well as Guacanagari's nearby village. Um, the next morning, the admiral went ashore with some of us and went to the site of the village and found it totally destroyed. This is from the writings of a doctor who had gone with him on his second voyage. We discussed a number of different theories as to what had happened. Some suspected that Guacanagari himself was the traitor and caused the deaths of the Christians. To others, this appeared unlikely since the chief's village had been destroyed also. So um, when you start getting into uh, De Las Casas, uh, De Las Casas, uh, who was a Franciscan friar, um, he is probably one of the first to really champion the rights of the natives that are there. Um, and he talks about, I mean, it's incredibly when the Spaniards no soon perceived once the, they started feeling that the, uh, the natives started feeling that they were getting pushed around. He writes, which the Spaniards no sooner perceived, but they mounted on generous steeds, well-weaponed with lances and swords, began to exercise their bloody butcheries and stratagems. They snatched young babes from their mother's breasts and then dashed out the brains of those innocents against the rocks. 
Others they cast into rivers, scoffing and jeering them, and called upon their bodies when falling uh, with derision. Did, did the true guys... testimony of their cruelty to come to them and inhum- inhumanely exposing others to their merciless swords together with their mothers that gave them life. D- did these guys know Jamonville at all? Right. Right. Um, they laid wagers amongst themselves who should with a sword at one blow cut or divide a man in two. Uh, or which of them should de- uh, decolate or behead a man with the greatest dexterity. So now this could possibly be in reaction to their brethren getting killed, but mm-hmm. we don't know exactly who these natives are because De Las Casas doesn't necessarily refer to a specific tribe. So it could be the Taino. We do know that um, they do a lot of nasty things to the Taino people, but he doesn't necessarily mention Columbus by name. So this could very well be uh, the Spaniards themselves, which Columbus was having problems with early on. Right. Hmm. So, um, um, so yeah, it goes into, uh, I mean, he, his, his, uh, brief account of the destruction of the Indies is just absolutely dreadful. Uh, it goes on and on into that. So, mm-hmm. um, eventually, um, Columbus is, uh, he has a bit of a falling out with, uh, with the king. Um, let's see. Um, trying to find where exactly because I've got like 12 pages of notes here obviously <laughs> um, but he does wind up having a, a bad falling out they sort of recall him and uh, they actually wind up replacing him as uh, the viceroy of the area um, not a lot of gold was recovered um, from this but a lot of people I'm wanting to say a few million of the inhabitants died either by just you know outright war disease that kind of stuff right so um so i don't think there's a lot of question that the spaniards that went along with columbus were problematic but does i mean but let's let's kind of circle back to that question is columbus a you know a hero or a villain Oof. Well, <laughs> I mean, to me, it reads a little differently than I assumed it would, right? <clears throat> when I started doing research for this, I was kind of like, hmm. I mean, I yeah. from a modern, I mean, from a modern perspective, um, the Taino people were given a very raw deal. Yep. Sure. Um, they were not treated as people. They were not treated as equals. Um, so from a modern perspective, to try and celebrate Columbus, it's kind of difficult because if you're wanting to judge Columbus by modern standards, which he was not privy to, would he have behaved differently in 2020? Right. And that's what I'm talking about is morals 
uh, and morality and what's right and wrong evolves over time, uh, believe it or not. You know, um, and so what we find to be right and wrong today is not the same as what somebody in his time would feel right. is right or wrong. And that's the whole point of what you're getting at. So, well, yeah, what it's, it's to try. Do- it's taking look at his actions from what was the acceptable practices of the time, right? Which, again, I doubt the Taino people with how how he describes them in and of themselves. And Dallas Casas also describes them as being very friendly and very, you know, uh, you know, docile people. There's no voice for them until Dallas Casas comes and starts talking about all these atrocities. Mm-hmm. We don't hear anything about them. And that's one of the, we don't hear anything from their own perspective, at least right. uh, in, in this particular uh, aspect of research. So from the Taino people, are the Spaniards good people? Probably not. No. Um, and when we start talking about dismantling like the, the big man or the, uh, you know, the famous white, you know, historical figures, it's because we usually don't hear that other side, that other voice. Sure. So, um, but... This, so this is where the this is where that complicated aspect of history comes into it, and I'm going to pose this. I'm not going to ask. I'm not going to answer this. I want to ask <laughs> you guys once again: um, is taking into consideration a today perspective and a perspective of fifteenth uh, century, late fifteenth century, is Columbus a hero or a villain? I don't think my answer changes. Yeah, I'm not going to make it. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I, I don't think my answer changes. Uh, I, I, th- I really think it. you can uh, look at it and see the gray area that there is to be had. Um, now, are I, you looking at this from the European perspective, Taino perspective, modern? I, I mean, trying to, trying to take all of it into consideration. Okay, okay. Um, you know, uh, for the way that you've presented the information, I have to, you know, I, I also have to take that into perspective also. Um, right. I have to... Uh, <sighs> <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel cautious. the conflict within you. No, no. I'm going to be very cautious with my words. Uh, okay. I, without doing a lot more homework, I would... I would struggle to not give Columbus some benefit of the doubt. Hmm. Does that sound completely off base? I mean, to me, it sounds, and again, it could be his writing tainting all of this and him just writing to appease the king. I need to make sure it sounds good. That could be it. But to me, it sounds like, he did everything he, not everything, he did what he felt he was supposed to do. And in the cases of his men saying, this isn't enough, this isn't enough, you know, what are we doing here? He attempted to keep the peace. And then when he left, I think his, the remaining men there felt like it was kind of a free for all. At least that's the way it appears. I mean, that's that's the, what I, my, that was my takeaway. 
And without doing a ton more work, I would not have considered myself saying this, but I really do think that Columbus isn't nearly the villain as I would have made him out to be coming into this. It it does appear we're really, really that, wordy, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> well, no, uh, the it appears that um, Columbus may have been a go getter. Well, uh, well, Jason, what, what about you? What about you? I'm not gonna. I've got something that I want to piggyback onto that, but I want to hear sure. what Jason has to say. Um, you know, we've looked at it from the. Uh, uh, what uh want you choose my words carefully no <laughs> uh, you know we've looked at it from a historical aspect i look at it from the situation that i'm in i i mean to a certain extent i mean we've tried to look at it from other perspectives here which is what you have to do but at the end of the day you can only experience something from what you understand and for me my my best understanding of him is the way i understand columbus and what i i have gotten out of it um and i still maintain uh it's somewhere in the middle. And I think that's the point is I don't mm-hmm. think you can call him a hero or a villain villain. It has to be shades of gray. Um, because if, if Columbus doesn't do what he does, certainly somebody else would have come along and done it as well. Um, and if Columbus doesn't do what he does, it doesn't necessarily, you know, we may not start the process of becoming the United States the way that we d- did. Um, so my life may be very different if, if Columbus doesn't do what he does the way he does. I, you just never know. So for that, you have to look at it and say, well, I, I owe a lot to Columbus having the, the cojones to, to sail across an ocean and, and uh, you know, do what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you look at the, the path and swath of destruction that comes along with that of basically mm-hmm. as, as you have um, – new cultures moving into areas where existing cultures are and basically you know, removing those cultures. Cause let's face it. That's, that's what happened here. Um, you, you had new people moving into new land. It's not like it's, it's nation building the same way Mesopotamia or, or even England for that matter, or, or France uh, built a nation. We, we built a nation by going somewhere else and, you know, moving other people off. All right, so that's where you ha- – it, 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 to me, again, I'm getting back to it. I'm, I'm, I'm all over the place. It's shades <laughs> of gray. It is so many shades of gray, it's not even funny. And it goes – the same argument in a lot of ways uh, I, I have for Columbus is the same way that I think about Washington and I think about um, Jefferson in that, you know, there's some great, great things that were done by Columbus uh, as far as lands being – uh, explored and establishing, you know, whatever you established, whatever you want to call it. Um, but there's some baggage that goes along with that that isn't exactly pretty. Um, and so I don't think well, it's, like, if, I, well, like I, what I you're saying, I mean, I Columbus initiated I, the exchange, Columbus, the Columbian exchange. No, I mean, no, I'm saying that Columbus, Columbus obviously found a route to, to get here, whether he knew where he was going or not. Uh, is irrelevant. He found a route to get to this, this new world. He is, you know, Colombian exchange eh, maybe. Okay, sure. Whatever. Um, so there's, you know, he, he because of that, I, I suppose, you know, if you're going to talk Colombian exchange, fine, he expanded the, the economy into a, an even broader world economy. 
But what I'm getting at is uh, there's good things that come out of it, and there's obviously bad things that come out of it. And we can't put him in the the uh, category of demigod in the same way that um, you know we put others uh, that have had great accomplishments in the, in the category of demigod as, as some. In, in history have tried to do and you can't make him a complete villain because that would be ignoring the positives that came out of, of what they did. So that's, sure. I, I stay maintain It's my very, very long rambling crappy way of saying <laughs> I stand by my answer of it's complicated. Well, I think it's it, to just real quick, just, it has to be a long answer because there's no short answer, right? There's no hero. hundred percent. There's no villain. hundred percent you're ultimately going to fall somewhere in the middle. And that takes a bit of time to work out, not only in your head, but once you try to formulate the thoughts to get it out of your face, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, There's no other way to do it, I don't think. And anybody who claims that it can be done isn't looking at all of the information that is possibly presented um, and is very focused on what they want to think. Mm -hmm. Now, we were... What I was trying to say, Rude, when you were talking about um, the things that, you know, the things, I guess, that this opened up, that your life would be so different. Um, We talked about the Colombian Exchange. For those of you who listening that may not be familiar with the Colombian Exchange is that basically people, goods that weren't native to Europe are brought back. Um, Things are introduced to the new world from Europe that the new like, for example, you know, we think of tomatoes and pasta sauce and all that kind of stuff being strictly Italian. Well, tomatoes came from the Americas. They were not native to Italy. So that fundamentally changed a great deal of the Italian culture. I mean, how we, you know, um, people didn't uh, have um, people thought that tomatoes originally were poisonous. So. It was, you know, the, the nobles wouldn't eat them, but then the peasants would have to. And then, you know, they, you know, create this national cuisine. Same thing with one of my favorite stories about um, Sir Walter Raleigh, you know, the bringing back potatoes from the New World. They didn't know how to use potatoes. And so there was this big feast where they, you know, he brought potatoes and they had like a potato feast and not understanding that the leaves were uh, toxic uh, we're eating like soup and salads made of the leaves of the, and then you start having all these royal people vomiting, you know, at the table, which I think is an astounding like sight to behold. I would imagine, but um, but the Colombian exchange basically means that you know, with this introduction of these new cultures, ideas change. So uh, this is another quote from that um, uh, one periodical: Columbus initiated the Columbian Exchange, which was the transfer of ideas, plants, animals, technologies, and cultures across the Atlantic Divide. These interactions greatly impacted the peoples on both sides of the ocean. In fact, the introduction of New World plants into European and Asian diets was foundational to the population booms that followed. Columbus's voyages constituted the world's first steps towards globalization. Hmm. Again, um, going back also uh, to what was said, um, you know, he was a go-getter. He was an explorer, but I really believe that he was a horrible administrator. Uh, Yep. Sure. So a lot of the ills that happened, I mean, granted he himself writes about wanting to seize people 
kidnap people for various reasons, mm-hmm. uh, being able to force these people to do whatever they wanted, something that you couldn't that you wouldn't expect other Europeans to treat other Europeans, even in that time period. Um, but um, a lot of the evils that come from this are from his lack of an ability to manage his people, manage yeah. his men. And it says, at last in the year 1500, Ferdinand and Isabella decisively intervened, sending a knight commander named Francisco de Bobadilla with plenary powers to take over the administration of Española. At the same time, they uh, summarily dismissed Columbus from his highest state of viceroy and governor. So he, you know, was no question that he had ambition. But he was not able to um, to wield that uh, effectively, and that caused you know. And so, it's it does kind of show the complicated nature from our perspective. I think, yeah, he's absolutely just a kidnapper, and you know, and you know, the Spaniards that came across were horrible. Mm-hmm. But you know, also on the flip side of that, in the perspective of the time, um, probably. S- with questionable intent, um, possibly heroic, but still with some pretty fatal flaws. Well, so. good or bad, I mean, you can't argue that the world changed because of what he did. Um, I think we're whether you feel it's for the for the better or the worse, the world mm-hmm. changed, and I think that I, uh, what we see is that we're quick to want to dismiss his accomplishments because of the manner in which he went about his business, which is fine, but you also have to consider that's that modern perspective creeping in. Yep. The world literally changed because of what Columbus did. Yep. And again, that can't be taken away from him just Mm -hmm. because, just because he, you know, chose to take captive people or, you know, it's still, he still changed the world. Yep. Well, I think um, this is a good place to um, to kind of uh, wrap this particular section up. I got to tell you, this was uh, way, I'm not going to lie, way more interesting than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> no offense, Hatfield. <laughs> well, no, I when when I was when I was kind of planning this when we were talking about it, because, you know, I uh, getting with debates with people that aren't willing to evaluate right the sources and evaluate that kind of stuff. And I'm kind of like, and you know, rude, you had mentioned, you know, talking about um, Columbus is a villain or a hero. And I'm kind of like, well, let's, why don't we reevaluate this? Why don't we take a look at this? Sure. And so as I was doing research on this, I was kind of like, huh, but, but (laughs) you have to keep into consideration that his writings, even of that time, aren't going to be critical of himself. Of course not. So there's going to be a lot of bias. Right. In those writings, but even his own perspective of how sweet and nice and helpful. I mean, the fact that they rode out and unloaded everything mm-hmm. from the sinking ship and then secured it to make sure that everything was safe. And then he still talks about, yeah, well, we can totally get these people to dig and, you know, force them to, you know, right. dig for gold and all this kind of stuff is it's it shows a, a, a horrific lack of, uh, you know, there's a. a a horrific disconnect um, mm-hmm. where he's complimentary, but yet talks about wanting to, sub, you know, be to subjugate them. 
So <laughs> it's um, but I yeah, when I was reading, I was like, hmm. So anyway, I'm glad that this was hopefully people stay on for longer than 15 minutes. <laughs> I need so. a break. Yeah, let's take a break and yep. uh, we'll come back and do a little this week in history. Sounds good. Back with more history bros or whoever we are right after this. Back from the break are the history bros. I'm still Jason. That is still Jason. And that is also still Brian. Uh, but we have different last names. Yeah, and that maybe. makes a difference. We'll see. I'm Jason. He's Jason. Not relation. I'm not in no relation. Right. <laughs> so uh, Hatfield, how, how was it when history was first starting being recorded? How did you deal with, uh, you know, the times back before we recorded history? Oh, dear. Oh, so you're trying to do an old joke right off the bat because you don't have anything else to talk about right now? Oh, you want me to do an old joke? Okay. Uh, I was looking on Wikipedia the other day, and guess who I found? All of your jokes are old. Dear God. There's there's no new jokes that you have. You know, you're right. But you want me to bash on Iowa now? Is that what I'm supposed to do? Or (laughs) do corn jokes or. Um, when did you guys get indoor plumbing? I mean, are, this is, is this how we're going to do this, or do we want to kind of? This is probably when people start tuning out. <laughs> I think you might be right. Two nuns walk into a bar. No, wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that when we make fun of Jason, they tune in, but when we make fun of Hatfield, uh, they tune out. It's just that it's like it's it's almost like it's out of the blue. Oh. It's not like, oh, Jason said something. So let's, it's just kind of like, hey, okay, so welcome back to the History Bros. Guess what's old? You know, (laughs) (laughs) it's what we call like trying to force the laugh. And it's not. um, But the fun part about it is I I set you up for some amazing hip hop or uh, not hip hop, hip hop, (laughs) improv. And you're getting to rail on me and we're getting a, a patented jason hatfield rant against rude and i i find it entertaining myself it's what we call uh masochism oh, <laughs> yeah oh, anyway oh boy uh so yeah not to bring up old skeletons uh, in closets or anything <laughs> but where's that nickel uh i suppose it's time to talk about a little history with this week in history uh we'll talk about other people's skeletons in closets because uh yeah are you done? Are you good? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's do this. Uh, September twenty third of sixteen forty two, nine graduates participate in Harvard College's first commencement exercise. As about fourteen undergrads, family members, clergy, plus Governor Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Colony, look on. America's first college will go on to become one of the world's most prestigious universities. I Harvard think you Lakes. needed to add Governor Winthrop of the Massachusetts Bay Company looks on disdainfully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Look we could have added it. Poor 14 grads becoming indoctrinated <laughs> by leftist ideology. No. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was he was kind of a he was kind of a straight and narrow sort of um judgy <laughs> Yep, and I'm the one who keeps going back to the things that we shouldn't be going back to. Oh, boy, here we go. <laughs> okay, fine. This ties into it, though, is, I guess, the point. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, uh, oh, boy. Okay. 
on September 21st of 1780, General Benedict Arnold is dissatisfied with how his U.S. Continental Army career has progressed and today meets with him the enemy in the form of British Major John Andre to hand over his command, West Point, to the Redcoats. His plot later exposed, Arnold's name, Arnold's surname will become synonymous with treason and betrayal. The actor who played him in turn, I always felt could have played like a really good superhero because of that chin. Chin, yes. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> he had quite the bulletproof chin, I feel. Oh, really? Um, he did a great job. I mean, that show was, I didn't watch it when it came out. I watched it when it was on a Netflix and I watched it. And I was like, wow, this is actually pretty good. So yeah, I, I enjoyed that here. show greatly. I watched a lot of it when I was in my well, – actually, when I went to Civil War Washington, I watched a, an episode every night oh. and then a whole bunch on go. the plane. And, yeah, that was – I love that show. Um, I, I don't like Simcoe. He's mean. Um, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, th- this whole thing is, is quite interesting. Truthfully, Benedict Arnold got a pretty raw deal in the U.S. Army. Like, I think. I don't know. He'd been passed by and maybe been ignored at times when he probably should have been not ignored, but whatever. And yeah. what better way to rebel than just outright treason? <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, uh, going back to the Civil War, uh, treason. <laughs> <laughs> The other day that said, uh, was it had a, you know, these two faces and one of the faces had like the Confederate flag on the forehead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, this is about uh, it's about heritage, not hate or something. And then the other one had the American flag on the head. And he says, and ours is about putting down that heritage or I don't know, something that was. It was actually it was it was it was like our job is to stop you know treason in your heritage or something. I'll need to find it. This that <laughs> example, I'll have to actually look it up. Um, on September twenty fifth, seventeen eighty nine, U.S. Congress passes twelve amendments to the nation's constitution, ensuring protections for individual liberties, including the freedom of speech and the press, the right to assembly, and the right to exercise religion. Ten of the amendments comprising the Bill of Rights will be ratified by the states. Okay, so the question is, what are the other two that didn't get ratified? Because one was whole... actually not ratified until like the 1990s, wasn't it? Was that one of the originals? Yeah. Well, which one was it? Yeah. Um, 19. I thought the last amendment. Hang on. Now you're forcing me to go back and look at the Constitution, uh, and that uh, could get hairy. No, you go ahead. Go ahead keep talking. Okay. Keep talking. Keep talking amongst yourselves. We're going to, you know. <laughs> List of amendments. Now would be a good time to pause, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it here we go. It would be a good time, but that's not what we're doing. <laughs> Delays laws affecting congressional salary from taking effect until after the next election that was in 1992 and it took 202 years ah, and 23 yes. days very yeah. good wow Hatfield got one right nice job yeah 27th amendment that's yeah. impressive well honestly to be fair i knew that because uh 
in well, uh, that's one of the things we talk about from our iCivics. I I think that's a crock. I you no civics are not talking. <laughs> oh, oh, I mean, the, when I'm lying about teaching oh. about civic. Oh, and, um, okay. Well, that's better. No, that, that, that's more believable. I cannot stress enough. I have given money to iCivics, um, which is an online resource for teachers. They've got games. They've got uh, incredible lesson plans. Uh, tons of them. Uh, complete with uh, worksheets and resources and things like that. And About they're civics? Updated. They're updated um, pretty regularly. Like sometimes you have to go back in and just make sure that you have uh, the most recent version of that. But I've their ordered- uh, their ratification game is is a lot of fun where you're having to write pamphlets and, and help to ratify the constitution or not. It's, it's actually the very, race to the white houses. Is, is yeah. All. That one's good too. Yep. It's real. That, that really shows the, um, the electoral college process. Yep. And yep. you have to, you can choose um, like your political party and the things that you stand for. And then um, you have to go around and, do fundraising so that you can do either attack ads or positive ads. And it's just, it's this really, and the thing is, is that it seems very complicated and dry, but it gets so competitive. A lot of the kids really, really get into it. (laughs) Um, It's they've got some fantastic resources on there. I cannot stress Mm -hmm. enough. Um, Yeah. So there you go. Outstanding. Good talk. Uh, let's move on. Uh, September 27th, 1954, comedian Steve Allen hosts the launch of TV's first late night talk show, Tonight, starring Steve Allen. The innovative NBC program will go on to pioneer many late night talk show traditions and will morph into the world's largest running talk fest, The Tonight Show. Hosted famously by Johnny Carson, who was an Iowan, by the way. Corning, <laughs> Iowa. You for that. Just wanted to let you know. Oh, here's my jokes about Iowa. Isn't that where you guys? Isn't that where you do the the, the jokes about Iowa usually? No, see, I, I I look past that because I realize people want to hear about history and oh. not about my jabs at Iowa, but or about pickles, you, or about. You, Wikipedia. You, refer- kind of you referred to somebody as an Iowa 13 today, and I wasn't all that impressed with it. What? You referred oh. to somebody being an Iowa 13. and Yeah, that was before we were even filming or recording, so I, oh. I don't know what we're you know. okay. Why are you always bringing in what's you know outside the podcast? Mm. And I, I couldn't remember what Way to break that fourth wall. Nice job. I'm sorry. I couldn't remember it. I couldn't (laughs) remember it. I screwed up bad. Oh, oh boy. September 21st, 1970, Don Meredith, Keith Jackson, and Howard Cosell call the action as the Cleveland Browns meet the New York Jets in the debut broadcast of Monday Night Football. The ABC is riveted by that. Sorry. (laughs) Of Monday Night Football. (laughs) Glad you got that out like pre yawn. I'm sorry. Jeez. We're putting ourselves to sleep. What the hell? 
thing we're going to be doing. <laughs> the ABC Network show will garner great ratings and become the institution in primetime TV sports viewing. Um, Hatfield, this is, uh, they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> To be fair, I understand why Hatfield fell asleep. We're talking about sports here. Oh, uh, what does that mean? Oh, yeah, I was actually okay. So I wanted to watch the news (laughs) last night and neither on CBS or NBC were they doing like the nightly news. And I, I and so I'm sitting there, I'm going. And, you know, it's like football that's on. And I'm like, who cares about this? I want to watch what's happening in the news right now. And my wife is like, I think you're the first guy I've ever dated that's not liked sports. I'm like, well, I like sports. Mm. Just, you know, I want to watch my soaps. No. (laughs) I couldn't Um, believe that. (laughs) No, I mean, if it's the World Cup. Or rugby or something like that. I just, you know, if it's constantly sort of in your face about like, you know, basketball, football, that kind of stuff. I mean, even I mean, I don't even really hockey's not even on all that much. I would actually probably enjoy maybe watching hockey. But on the whole, it's just the the stuff that's constantly in your face. I just I'm not interested in because you can see it whenever. I get the impression that if there was a, a, a NASCAR race on, you probably would be watching that. No, I wouldn't, because you want to talk about in your face all the time. Welcome to North Carolina. (laughs) (laughs) And it's honestly, and it's the same thing with, uh, um, you know, dealing with the Confederacy. Mm. It's like for the longest time, I just did not care because it was just constantly in my face about, you know, oh, here's a memorial. Here's a memorial. Here's a reenactment. Here's this. And it's like, okay, I just, I don't even care. And so once I started like, you know, finally, you know, doing research on it and whatnot. I'm just kind of like, this is what? Why are we? <laughs> I mean, talk about the the biggest participation trophy. <laughs> um, September 24th, 2016, following a dedication by President Barack Obama, the Smithsonian Institution opens its newest facility in Washington, D.C., the National Museum of African-American History and Culture. The long-planned museum, conceived as early as 1916 and legislatively approved in 2003, will welcome more than a million visitors in its first six months. The um, uh, architecture firm my wife works for, one of the uh, principals, I think, was one of the designers. Oh, nice. On, uh, for this, and she actually got to tour it before it was open. Oh, sure. cool. Um, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, facility. Um, Have you been there? Um, I don't know if I've no, I have not been to DC um since it's opened. Oh. I have not been there. I've been there. Uh, if we were if I was still doing the the kind of week long trip with my old school, then yeah, I would have been there. I've been there. Um uh also another uh memorial that's making the rounds, the Dwight D. Eisenhower memorial that's um I guess that's brand new. It wait, it's open now. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what? it's just it's outside. It's what? not like you have to go. No, inside. I know. But where is it? Because like that was there was a huge controversy within the family of how they were going to do that, and like the family right. was mad about stuff. Well, really? they were. I don't know if they were. Mad. They disagreed with some design aspects of it. Like I think the center of it was him as a boy. And they were like, I don't think that it would be he him looking at all of his achievements, 
you know, from the time he's a kid because he doesn't know he's going to accomplish these kind of things. There's little things like that. Um, but they have a big metal uh, artistic mural about, I'm wanting to say it's one of the cliffs um, at Normandy that people had to scale during D-Day. Hmm. Um, which is, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been in the news a lot. I'm assuming that it's, uh, that it's open for the public to see now. I didn't so. think it was Bill. I I didn't even think they knew where it was going yet. I, I could, let me, maybe I need to like double check and just make sure, but. Well, it's going in Washington. So, you know. Well, right. But I mean, <laughs> the, um, you know, and that's just, and maybe it, it's, been done but i just that is 100 percent news to me and granted not that i'm yeah it opened it opened uh there's a article it opened today no two days ago it opened on friday opens this on the 18th so well open on friday okay well i stand corrected where the heck is it breaking news Uh, washington (laughs) dc no i Our nation's capital. I don't. I mean, what else do you want? I don't. It's it's outside of Iowa. (laughs) I think a short car ride. Just real quick. No, no big deal. I mean, or you know, it'll it'll take a couple days by oxen. (laughs) That was there. You go. There. Yeah. There you go. He did it. I've done. He did it. (laughs) I mean, it looks. I mean, it looks interesting and. um, Oh, it's but yeah, north. Uh, it's up it's north of the White House. Okay. We'll need to um talk to our um park ranger friends. Yeah, oh, there we go. Well, we've so, got yeah. a park ranger friend that would like to join us. Uh, and I would also like to uh uh we need to bring Kevin back on because um Kevin's... he actually reached out to us and was like, you know, we didn't really even talk about a good chunk of his life you know yeah. after all this stuff and i definitely think that we need to do like a follow-up because oh, i mean no that doubt. was obviously amazing no doubt we got to bring kevin back and we've got ranger jen that we need to bring out aboard mm-hmm. and we also and, uh, met during the ford's theater mm-hmm. well i uh, met her teacher institute she's great ranger. i've met she's her great. a few years back it uh ford she actually visited my classroom during the covid uh, oh, nice. shut down. So, uh, Ranger Jen is it's a long trip to make for you guys not to even be open. Yeah. Well, it's she, true. yeah, it's yeah. True. she, uh, zoomed into the class. So, but yeah, right, so that's what we're saying. It's, I mean, she, she was doing it quickly. I don't, yeah, yeah she, okay. She just turn around and go back. That seems, <laughs> so yeah, that was a great this week in history. And, uh, <laughs> I suppose we're probably about to the end of our episode here. Not that anyone's still listening, but um, <laughs> <laughs> ouch! Well, it hurts because it's probably true. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you guys have yourselves a good one. Uh, anybody have any big plans for the week in school? Um, we're going to be talking, we're finally getting into, uh, Native American history. So we're going to be focusing on the Cherokee and the Navajo, uh, mm. Cherokee mainly because, you know, since we're talking North Carolina history and U S history, Cherokee, um, obviously there are three tribes now, but, um, Cherokee is kind of North Carolina and then Navajo, but there's some, uh, comparisons because of course the Cherokee did the trail of tears. The Navajo were forced on the long walk. 
Um, we're going to be learning some Navajo words, and we're going to learn how to write our first names using Sequoia's Cherokee syllabary. Cool. Oh, cool. We're gonna nice. do. I'm gonna start our uh, our PBL project on 9/11, uh, but it's more about oral histories. Aha. Uh-huh. So there you go. We are uh, we are moving ever so close to. Uh, European, uh, actually specifically English colonization, and you know, as you do. You don't right. care about the Spanish or the. We've already covered it. Um, He's way ahead of you there, yeah, Hatfield. We're, 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 we've moved ahead, sir. New Amsterdam. No I one just cares. feel like I just yeah. feel like you know it's so why bother? Centric, right? And for the history bros, I am Jason Rude with a supporting cast here, uh, or whatever you want to call it, Jason Hatfield and Brian Geldmacher. Have a good one, everybody. We'll talk to you uh, hopefully in a week or whenever we get the next one out. What he said. See ya. Deuces. Bye. (laughs) 